Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we're thankful for your mercy. We're told that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, you woke us up. You're the one that put the breath in our nostrils this morning. The very ability now to speak to you comes because you love us so much. And I ask, Father, that you do something special for us this morning. I ask that you draw so near to us, Lord, that the things of this world grow strangely dim. Father, we need you like we've never needed you before. Show us Jesus, we pray. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his most holy and precious blood. Amen. We can begin in the book of Ecclesiastes. Everyone knows this by now, is that right? Ecclesiastes 1. Verse 9, Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9, and we're going to sing it together. Is that okay? Again, the purpose of singing is not because I can sing. The purpose of singing is so that we can remember um, the passages. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1, 9, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. Now, we, we, we sing that, and we, we've been going over uh, session after session what it means to look at the history of what has happened in the past and see how that transfers into our present, yea, into our future. We first began talking about as it was in the days of Noah, and we saw that, the, that Satan attacked the home. He attacked the union of two people that should not be together, and in attacking that home, progressively, it began to spread sin throughout all the land until there was no remedy except the flood. Think about that. That there was no remedy. In fact, there was nowhere left on planet Earth that you could find righteousness but in one family. One family. Not a bunch of families, not a whole church, just one family. One family that said that they would be faithful to God. In our second session, we talked about as it was in the days of Lot. And we looked at Lot, his choice of wife and his choice of location. He chose not to live in the plains or in the, in, the, in the country setting where Abraham lived, he chose to live in the wicked city of Sodom and Gomorrah and choosing to live in a place where he could not but see and hear the evils, it affected his children to the extent that not one of his family, listen to me, not one of his family came away from that city untainted. His wife turned to a pillar of salt. His two daughters drunkened him and had incestual relationship with him, all because he chose to separate from Abraham, separate from the principles that Abraham had instilled in his home, and imbibe the teachings of that wicked city. Now, the Bible does say that Lot hated. It vexed his soul to be in that city. But it's one thing to be vexed. It's another thing to protect your home. 
Did you hear what I said? It's one thing to be vexed, but it's another thing to protect your children from seeing and, and feeling things that will destroy their spiritual walk with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are living so close to the end of time, we have no time to play around. When God says, escape for your life, what, you sh- what should you do? That you should escape for your life. You should not be bargaining with Jesus, bargaining with God. Oh, it's just a little city. Let me stay here. Today we're talking about as it was in the days of Moses. Now, as I got up this morning and I began to think about what to say, the reality started to change in what I wanted to say. It's so strange sometimes. And so we're going to go, we're going to try to study the Bible in a very simple way. I want you to leave with one thought. Here's the one thought I want you to leave with. Jesus is your brother. That's the one thought I want you to leave with when you leave the tent this morning, that Jesus is your brother. And I want you to begin to understand what it means. As it was in the days of Moses, you see this beautiful picture here. You know that picture? That picture there is the sanctuary. Is that right? It's a beautiful symbol. It's a plan of salvation. There are so many aspects to it that I wish I could unfold to you right now this morning, but I'm only going to unfold one this morning. As it was in the days of Moses, I want us to go to Psalms, the 27th chapter. Psalms 27, or 27th division. Psalms 27, verse 4. Psalms 27 and verse 4. Please notice here what the Bible says. The Bible says, one thing have I desired. How many things? Ooh, that's deep. Only one thing. The Bible says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell where? That's the only thing David wants. That's the only passion he has. That's the only desire that is in his mind. The one thing that he desires is to be in the house. And it's not simply be in the house. It's to dwell in the house. What does the word dwell mean? That means to abide there. That means to live there. The one thing David desires is to live in God's house. Now watch, watch carefully. One thing have I desired the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What does he want to do while he's in there? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire where? In the temple. So the one thing he desires, the one passion he has, the one thing that, that consumes him is to be in God's house, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now watch this and look at verse number, verse number 11. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, teach me thy what? Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a what? In a plain path because of my enemies. So in this context, he's saying, I want to dwell in the house. I want to dwell there forever. I know that there's trouble in the land. I know that I have enemies, but Lord, please teach me your paths. Well, this becomes important. In fact, go to Psalms, the 73rd division, Psalm 73. I wonder what he sees. Uh, You see, there's something that David knows about the sanctuary and the temple that we don't know. You see, if, if we knew what David knew, we would desire what he desired. 
If we knew what David saw, if we had beheld what he's seen, then we ourselves would be so passionate and so desirous to be in the same place where David desired. Now watch this in Psalm 73. Look at this in verse 1. Look carefully. The Bible says, truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Watch. But as for me, but as for who? But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. In other words, the person is saying, I know God is good. I know that he's done wonderful things. But as for me, I almost fell off. I almost stopped walking with God. I wonder what he's beholding in order for this to transpire. Verse 3 says, for I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compassed them round about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Talking about the wicked. If you're watching the wicked, if you are one that watches the worldlings, the basketball players, and the, 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 the TV celebrities, you start to wonder, am I giving up all these things in vain? My, 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 my friends are having sex before marriage. Am I giving up my, 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 my virginity? Am I holding it in vain? Am I, am I doing the right thing in vain? You see, sometimes when we begin to look at the things of the world, we start to question the reality of living righteously. Well, look, look carefully, look carefully. It says in verse 11, verse 11, and they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, look at the question, verily. Have I cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency? For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened how many mornings? That means there's a trial every morning. And watch. If I say I speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too what? Painful for me. And I love this word. This is one of the most wonderful words in all the Bible. Until. This is how I felt until, until what? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. I felt like this. I felt like there was no hope. I felt that there was no point in being a Christian. I felt this way until I went into the sanctuary of God. And I understood their what? Understood their what? Their end. There's, so there's something in the sanctuary, there's something that David saw, that he beholds the beauty and the glory of God, and there's something that we see here in the book of Psalms where, where the Asaph is reading, and he's saying, oh, the wicked are prospering, and I'm doing this in vain. I thought this way until. I want to I challenge you with something. I want to challenge you before you leave this place, this mountain, this setting, this sanctuary in, in, in the country, I want you to press so close to Jesus until there is nothing left between you and him. You see, there's no excuse why you should leave this place not knowing Jesus the way you should. There's no excuse. Look around you. Look around. Where are you? The only trouble that will trouble you now is borrowed trouble. 
The only trouble that will trouble you now is taking something that's happening at home, taking something that's happening on the job. No, you have a sanctuary in time right here where Jesus can be the center of every thought and you can enter into the most holy place and find a solution to all your problems. I'm going to challenge you with that. This is the way I thought until I understood their end. I went into the sanctuary, and I watched this carefully. Psalms, the 77 division. Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Verse 13. Psalm 77. Verse 13. Notice here what the Bible says. You guys should know this by heart. Is that right? Thy way. Whose way? God's way. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. If you have a new King James, it might say, Thy way, O God, is in the holies. Holy of holies. Who is so great a God as our what? So there's something that's in the sanctuary that shows you the greatness of our God. Now, if you stop here, read this verse singularly by itself, you're going to miss something. Notice now, continue to read. Notice here, again, what the Bible says. 77, look at verse 13. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who so great a God is our God? Thou art the God that doeth what? Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Now watch this. The waters see thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. What is it talking about? We're going to find out in a moment. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Watch this. Thy way is in the what? Wait a second. Didn't we just read thy way, O God, is in the... But now it's telling us thy way is in the, what's that talking about? I'll tell you what it's talking about. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Watch this. Thy way is in the, wait, remember, we just read in verse number, look at verse number, look at number verse 14. Verse 14, notice what it says. Thou art the God that doth wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among thy people. Thou hast with thine arm done what? Redeem them. Thy way is through the sea. What's happening through the sea? Well, God takes what is almost impossible and he parts it on both sides and he makes a way through the, God's way is through the, just as if it were through the. So in the sanctuary then, God shows us deliverance from sin. In the sanctuary, then, God shows us deliverance from our enemies that are encroaching upon us. In the sanctuary, God shows his way through the sea, as it was in the days of Moses. You see, friends, we're coming into a time in which all the world will be pressed against those who say they keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's going to be a sea. It's going to look like there's no way out. It's going to seem as if every relationship that we have formed will be broken and there's only one way to make it through. He says, I'm going to take you right through the sea. Let me ask you a question. In the days of Noah, did God make a way in the sea? 
He made a way right in the flood. He said, I'm going to build an ark. Again, when there was no way, he creates a way so that you can survive when you could naturally not do it yourself. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. This is what I understand. He says, I'm going in there, and when I see it, I behold the wonders of his beauty, the glory of his power, his ability to redeem us. You, you got to understand this because my mind is, is racing right now. I don't know how fast I want to be able to go. I want you now to go with me to the book of Genesis. Go with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis, the third chapter. So God's way is in the sanctuary. His way is in the sea. Now watch this in Genesis chapter 3. I want you to look carefully with me at verse 15. Genesis 3.15, please note here what the Bible says. Don't forget anything I already said to you. Genesis 3.15 says, and I will put enmity. What does that word enmity mean? Hatred. That word enmity means hatred. And I will. Who's saying this? So God is saying, I'm going to do something for you you can't do for yourself. Listen. And I will put enmity. Between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Listen. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his what? So God is saying, I'm going to put hatred between the woman's seed and your seed, Satan. I'm going to create a hatred that is not naturally in the heart of man right now. Now, I want to tell you something. You all are looking very beautiful and handsome this morning. But I believe the Bible over how you present yourself to me. The Bible says that your heart is desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says about you, and it says it about me, that our hearts are desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? That's what the Bible says about your heart, my heart. Desperate. You know what desperately wicked looks like? It looks like it was in the days of Lot. When those angels came in, angels, I said, I didn't say regular men. I said angels came in and angels came into that town. And those men were so desperately wicked that they said, I want to know those men. You know what I mean when I say that. And those men surrounded that home desperately wicked. I'm saying your heart is desperately wicked. I'm saying my heart is desperately wicked like those men. They crowd around the home. Lot goes out to persuade them otherwise. The men say, if you don't get out the way, we're going to do to you more harm than what we would have done to those men. The angels of God pull Lot into the house, blind the men on the outside of the house. Remember, I said desperately wicked. And when he blinds the men on the outside of the house, when they do this, the men are still groping for the door. Read this, read it, go back and read Genesis 19. They were blind, but still groping, still seeking to do darkness when they themselves literally were blind. Now, remember, the Bible says our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can? I remember reading the Desire of Ages, talking about the demoniac in church. The demoniac is sitting in church, again, looking pious and handsome and beautiful. And as the demoniac is sitting in church, 
he stands up, and the spirit of prophecy says that he wanted to say to God, help. But he couldn't because the demon had control, and the demon starts to talk for him. She goes on later in the paragraph, and she says, this man, the same demon that possessed this man, possessed the Pharisees. Did you hear what I just said? The same demon that possessed this man possessed the Pharisees, possessed the leadership, and beloved, it doesn't matter how handsome we look. It doesn't matter how conservative we are. It doesn't matter how nice our vegetarian diet is. I want you to hear me. If Jesus has not redeemed you, you are still a slave. If Jesus has not redeemed that tongue, if he has not redeemed your thoughts, you are still a slave and you are still in your sins. Well, how do I know? How do I know whether or not I've been redeemed? Jesus says, I will place enmity. What's that word enmity mean again? I will place hatred between thee and the woman, between her seed and your seed. Now watch carefully. I want us to go to John chapter 14 now, in verse 6. John 14, verse 6. Notice here what the Bible says. John 14, 6, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto him. Who's speaking? Jesus saith unto him, I am the what? So thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Thy way, O God, you have redeemed us. Jesus says, I am that way. If you don't know me, you don't know the way. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of? Jesus says, I am the way. My question to you this morning, I'm not trying to be deep or anything. Do you know Jesus? Now remember, this is a very basic verse, a very basic thought that you should lock into your mind. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto, sin unto what? Sin leads to what? Friends, listen to me. Sin leads to death. Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto what? Sin leads to death. Jesus says, I am the way. Listen, if you don't have Jesus, you're still in your sins. In fact, go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Watch this. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1. Matthew 1, verse 21. Notice here what the Bible says. Matthew 1, verse 21. Notice here what the Bible says. The Bible says, and she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. What are we going to call him? For he shall save his people from their what? Whose people? His people. He's going to save his people. He's going to redeem his people from something that seems impossible to be delivered from. Now, I don't know you. I don't know what your pet sin is. But I want to give you a warning. One cherished sin. How many cherished sins? One cherished sin neutralizes the power of the gospel. How many sins? One cherished sin 
neutralizes the power of the gospel. Now, if you're going to understand what I just said there, you must understand what the power of the gospel is. Is that right? If you want to understand what I just said, you must understand what the power of the gospel is. So let's back up for a moment. The Bible says in Psalms 33, verse 6, and also verse 9, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Tell me something. You got power like that? To speak, let there be light. There's light. To speak, let there be the firmament. There's firmament. To speak, let the waters divide from the, the dry ground, and there is dry ground, and we call earth, and the water that he calls seas. You have power to do that? Let there be birds in the air. You don't have power to do that, do you? We're talking about the word. The word spoke. Done. Now, with that thought in mind, go down to John, John chapter 1. With that thought in mind, I'm talking about the power of the gospel. John chapter 1. Notice carefully what the Bible says in John chapter 1. Now watch, watch. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the... Listen now. In the beginning was the word. Remember, that word is what spoke, and it was done. Is that right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything they made that was made. In him, who's him? The word. In him was life, and the life was the... So in the word was life. And the life was the light. Well, how did the light come? By the word. Now watch verse 14. Think about this. This is nothing new, friends. The Bible says in verse 14, and the word was made what? Understand. Understand what it's saying. The word was made flesh. The word now that spoke things into existence is now encapsulating itself in flesh. Are you listening to me? The word now that spoke everything into existence is now wrapping itself in flesh. Don't lose your place in John. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to understand what's happening here, beloved. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20. Hebrews 10 verse 20. Here, notice what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20. The Bible says, by a new and what? What kind of way? So it's no longer talking about a tent, a, a tabernacle with some curtain hanging over it. It says, by a new and living way, by a new and living way, which he have consecrated for us. Who's he? Jesus has done this. Jesus has consecrated the way for us. Well, how did he do it? He consecrated the way for us through the veil. That is to say his what? His what? I want you to hear what I'm saying. If Jesus had not taken on our flesh, we would not be family. If Jesus had not taken on human flesh, we would not be family. He would be God and we would be some earthlings on the planet. But Jesus wanted to demonstrate how close of a tie he wanted with the human family. I want you to hear me. 
The word becomes flesh. It dwells among us. Let me ask you a question. Can the word of God be defeated? I'm going to ask you one more time because I don't know if you really believe what you just said. Can the word of God ever be defeated? So why do you sin? Wait, wait. If the word of God cannot be defeated, the question is, why do you sin? Because it's through the veil, through his flesh, that he's able to redeem us and deliver us from sin. Are you listening to me? So if the word can be defeated, and the word speaks and things happen, and the word becomes flesh and dwells among us, why then are we defeated? I want us to go to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans, the eighth chapter, does something special for us here. Romans, chapter eight. Watch carefully, watch carefully. In fact, jump up just a little bit to Romans 7. Look at verse 24. Right, start at verse 24. It says, O wretched man that I am. You see, one of the main problems with us is that we don't believe we're wretched. Did you hear what I said? The, one of the main problems with us is that we don't believe we're wretched, therefore we don't imbibe the word like we should because we think we're okay. I've been to enough GYCs, I don't need devotions anymore. I've heard every preacher under the sun. I've heard Dwayne Lemon, Peter, Peter Chung, I've heard uh, Peter Gregory, I've heard David Ashery, I've heard all these wonderful speakers of the word. I'm good now. I don't need to study anymore. I've heard all the Bible stories already. Believe it or not, that's what our hearts say. That explains it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Who shall do what? Remember, we just talked about redemption. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The Bible says, I thank God through. What's the word? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now watch carefully. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after what? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of what? So there's a law of sin. You mean there's a law of sin? What, what, what do you mean there's a law of sin? Well, it's very simple. Let me do it this way. You have of your natural self no ability to do the right thing. And even when you do what is apparently right without Christ, it's still the wrong thing. I.e. like giving Bible study, uh, preaching, going to GYCs. You can't do anything without Jesus. I wish it would just kind of just settle in our minds. You see, if we were walking on literal water, we would see Jesus and say, oh, yes, Jesus, help us walk on water, because we know we can't do that, right? But it's so much harder to walk on land in faith than it is to walk on water in faith. 
It's so much harder because why? I can touch it. I can, I can control. I can control this. I trust in my own ability, my own strength. Oh, wretched man. I'm not a wretched man. The homosexual, that's a wretched man. Huh? Everybody else is wretched but me. My parents are wretched. They're the ones that messed up my life. My brother is wretched. The man who treated me and molested me when I was a child, he's wretched. I'm not wretched. Hmm? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to deliver me? I need a redeemer. I need a savior. I need a man that's called Jesus. I want the reality of the gospel, not simple mental ascent to information that gets me all happy and gooey inside. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So the word becomes flesh, dwells among us. And watch this. Verse number four. Verse number three, I'm sorry. Verse number three says, Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son. In the likeness of what? In the likeness of what? Sinful flesh. And for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. Well, how did he do that? Well, Jesus, being the word, walked in human flesh and did not sin once. Can you imagine the thought? Not one time. Berated with temptation. Satan making it his personal mission to take Jesus out. Not once did he sin, not one single solitary time from his birth to his death, not one sin. And by living this absolutely perfect life, he condemns sin. In other words, he's saying to sin, I'm the victor here. Now he does it in flesh. Now why does he do it in flesh? Why, why does he do it in flesh? The Bible tells us why he does it in flesh. Notice what it says. Verse number four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled where? In who? You're telling me that God wants to work righteousness inside of us? You're telling me that God wants to give me victory over every besetment and every sin, that there is absolutely no excuse because he is our brother. There's more. I, I, I want you to understand what, what's happening here. Jesus is showing by, by precept and by example, and not only precept and example, but he's empowering you with the indwelling of the word itself. Can the word be defeated? Can the word be defeated? So that's why the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my what? That I might not what? Is that biblical? That's the purpose of the word. The question is, are you hiding the word in your heart? I didn't say hiding it in your intellect. I said hiding it in your That's the seat of your emotion, your passion. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. But why does he want to dwell there? Now, if you walk into the sanctuary... We're in the sanctuary here. You have the holy place and you have the most holy place. In the most holy place is where God's presence, Shekinah glory, is unveiled. In other words, it's not covered up. There's nobody. That, you go in there, you get to see it without sunglasses. 
I'll tell you something. I, I find this interesting. You know, when you get married, one day some of you get married. Some of you were married. Some of you are married. I remember, and I share this with you as a friend, all right? I remember uh, the honeymoon night. And I remember going to the bathroom. And I've never gone to the bathroom with anyone. You understand? Do you understand the idea? When, when you go into the bathroom, you go in there by yourself. And you, you know, you meditate and things go, take, go you know, they go the way they go. <laughs> but I remember my wife walking in to the room, into the bathroom. First time. I was naked. And I was a little ashamed. Listen to me. There's something about the sacredness of the husband and wife union that illustrates the most holy place experience. You see, in the garden, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and Eve eats from the fruit, what happens to them? They were what? But they were naked the whole time. Listen to me. What makes them ashamed? Sin. What makes them feel guilty? Sin. Well, I'm not ashamed anymore around my bride. Amen. Warts and all, I'm not ashamed. You see, here's the, here's the issue. You see, Jesus wants to be so close that he's inside. Yes? The issue is when he comes close, the reality of what you are will be exposed. The closer someone gets to you, the more they see the faults. The question is, when you see their faults and when I see their faults, what do I do to them? You see, Jesus, you know what Jesus did in the garden? He got some clothes and he put them around them. He did not expose their nakedness. Are you listening to me? Jesus veils himself in flesh. He makes himself a part of the broken family. He presses close to them. He doesn't distance himself. He presses close to them. And even when they spit in his face, even when they pluck hair out of his face, even when they take a rod and smack him across his head, he still says, I love them. Now, you must understand the idea behind this. You see, if he had said anything else, you may have ceased to exist because the word cannot declare anything that's not true. Did you hear what I said? If he had simply said at the cross, I hate them, burn them up, get rid of these knuckleheads, anything, the word is true every time it's spoken. But he says, I love you. I haven't cast you off. You are part of my family. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now watch this. Verse number five. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now watch carefully. For to be carnally minded is what? 
but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because. Why is that? The word because gives you a cause. Is that right? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. What's the carnal mind? Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me well. Your mind, as it is in this natural state, does not desire God. Your mind, in its natural state, does not desire God. That's why God must seek you first. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you what? And expect it in. This is why he must chase us down. This is why he must woo us. This is why he goes to Calvary and he demonstrates reality. I love you. Don't believe the lie Satan has told you about God. Don't believe the lie. That he's some absentee lawyer, absentee landlord, some absentee father. Don't believe the lie. God is ever near. In fact, listen to me. I don't care what the painful situation was. He was there and felt every grief and every pain. Do I have biblical authority to say it? Yes, I do. Go to Isaiah 53. Don't lose Romans 8. I have biblical authority. Listen to me. He was there in the pain. He felt every ounce of the pain. He did not leave you in that pain alone. In fact, Isaiah 53, notice what the Bible says. Notice what the Bible says, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised. Listen. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of what? A man of what? A man of sorrows and acquainted with what? Only thing sometimes all we think about when we think about Calvary is that he died for our sin. He not only died for our sin, but he took on our grief and our suffering at Calvary. Listen to me. Listen to me. He took it all. Not just sin, but grief and sorrow. Hear what I'm going to say to you. I want you to hear me well. Days are filled with sorrow and pain. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very near. Think about those words. Think about them. You see, we know he took away our sin. But do you understand he took our grief? Do you know that you can leave your grief right at Calvary? Did you hear me? He's our brother. He's family. 
He's a God who cares. Go back to Romans 8 now, please. Please go back to Romans 8. Notice here again what the Bible says. Verse 6. Romans 8, verse 6. Notice here what the Bible says. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and what? So to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Watch. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It hates God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed what? So the carnal mind cannot be Christian. There is no Christian carnality. The frustration that we find in our Christian walk is not because Jesus is not able to save. It is that we are seeking to live Christian lives with a carnal mind. But the Bible says this good news. Be transformed by the what? Let this mind be in you, which was also where? Can he change your mind? How long does it take him to change your mind? Right now, let there be light, and there was what? Instantly. Instantly. He can change your mind right now. He can give you new love right now. He can give you victory right now over whatever that besetting sin is. He can do it now. I want to share these last quotations with you. I'm going to pass a lot of these things. I'm back here. Look at this. Look at this. Desire of Ages, page 24. It says, by his humanity, Christ touched humanity. By his divinity, he lays hold upon the throne of God. As the son of man, he gave us an example of what? Obedience. And as the son of God, he gives us power. Didn't we just see that in the Bible? It was Christ who from the bush on Mount Horeb spoke to Moses saying, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. This was the pledge. This was the what? So when we see Jesus come down in human form, he's making a pledge. And when God makes a pledge, he cannot lie. He can't lie. When he speaks, it's done. This was the pledge of Israel's deliverance. So when he came in the likeness of men, he declared himself the I am, the child of Bethlehem, the meek and lowly Savior is God, manifested in the flesh. And to us, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the living bread. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. I am the assurance of every promise. I am, be not afraid. God is with us, is the surety of our deliverance from sin. The assurance of our power to obey the law of heaven. Watch this. By his life and death. Listen, this is powerful. By his life and his death. Christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin wrought through sin. Even more? What did, he, what did he do? Watch this. It was Satan's purpose 
to bring about an eternal separation between God and man. But listen, but in Christ, we are more closely united to God than if we had never what? Do you hear what it just said? In Christ, we are more closely united than if we had never fallen. You mean if Adam had just lived a perfect life and gone on and did what he did, we wouldn't be as close as we are right now? That's what it said. And then if we had never fallen, watch this. In taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. What's never mean? Never. Through the eternal ages, he is linked with us. Through what? I, I heard one man speculating. He said, oh, when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to get there and then he's going to throw off his humanity. He won't have humanity anymore. What does this just say? He, through eternal ages, he is linked. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now listen. He gave him not only to bear our sins and to die as our sacrifice. Listen to this. He gave him to the fallen race. Do you understand what it means? Now we are children of God. Now in heaven right now there's a human being there. One that feels and has been touched with all of our infirmities. All of them to assure us of his immutable counsel of peace, God gave his only begotten son to become one of the human family. Whew. Forever to retain his human nature. Do you hear that? He's not going to get to heaven and be like, thanks God, I appreciate it, but I'm going to take this off now. He's going to retain it forever. What love is this? What condescension, condescension is this? Think about it. God, angels, man. Man, dogs, maggots. It's as if a man became a maggot and decided to retain maggot form forever. This is the God we serve. This is the God I love. I don't know if you love. I love this God. This is the pledge that God will fulfill his word. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. God adopted human nature in the person of his son and has carried the same into the highest heaven. It is the son of man who shares the throne of the universe. You hear it? It is the son of man whose name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The I am is the daysman between God and humanity, laying his hand upon both. He who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, is not ashamed to call us what? In Christ, the family of earth and the family of heaven are bound together. Christ glorified is our brother. Heaven is enshrined in humanity. And humanity is enfolded in the bosom of infinite love. What a wonderful God. 
touched with every feeling, every burden. And it's a human being that stands in the very presence of God, representing our race. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you love Jesus? I heard that. Jesus is so wonderful. This morning, I just want to, myself personally, lay everything on the altar before God this morning. Is that all right? If you would like to do the same, every besetment, every sin, every heartache, every grief, if you want to do that with me this morning, kneel with me and let's beseech our brother in heaven. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thy way, O God, is in the sea. For it is through the sea of our trials and our struggles that you will supernaturally deliver us. And Father, here we are. Here we are. Words cannot express what our hearts desire to say to you, Lord. So here we are. We are tired of this world, Lord. We are tired of sin. We're tired of it, Lord. Teach us how to see Jesus. For in one way only can a true knowledge of self be obtained. We must behold Christ, our brother, our Lord, and our King. And tonight, Father, we submit ourselves to his rulership. Teach us how to hide the word in our heart. For there is no weapon that can be formed against this word that will prosper. Teach us how, Lord. Give us that enmity for sin. Give us that deep love for you. We love you, Father. But we beg of you to teach us to love you more. Every moment of every day, every trial and every situation, teach us to love you more. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen.